Welcome to Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and my partner, Kelly McVeigh. Today we have, as a guest, the amazing Minetta Archer. Let's get started. Welcome, Greener Grass listeners. And today I have an amazing woman, Minetta Archer, who is based, home based in New York City. And she is a trainer, educator, Um, at heart. She has been in retail as a trainer and educator in beauty and then moved on to um, a direct selling model where she also trains and educates. She also is definitely an influencer in general and has a love and passion for interior design and spaces. So today I'm excited for you to learn from this amazing badass woman, Minetta Archer, and the confidence that she exudes every day. Okay, so excited to have our guest here today, Minetta Archer. And when I thought about all the people that I wanted to bring to Greener Grass, Minetta was definitely one of those people because she's a badass, confident woman. And I have to say that over the last year and a half, two years of knowing her, I think we both have changed a lot or grown. And I think um, I have definitely fed off of that from her, watching that from her and just her even calling me and giving me little um, ass kickings every once in a while. And so, you know, she's um, an amazing woman in business and just knowing herself. And so that's why I wanted her um, on Greener Grass. And so today, you know, Minetta, to start off, we both are in the same um, industry right now, currently. I know that you have been in multiple different um, venues, but still the same space, really. Mm -hmm. But a different, this is a little bit of a different model than you've been in before. But we talk a lot about our why and what makes us tick from a business perspective. So I just wanted to start off by asking you, you know, what is your why in life. Well, first of all, Kelly, thank you for that amazing introduction because I'm so happy to be here with with you fellow badass confident women. Um, and um, just kind of thinking about my my why in life, and, and I've thought a lot about this over the past year because honestly, a pandemic will force you to do some major self-reflection. And so, um, few of the things that I kind of thought about is that, you know, in in life in general, I just want to be useful to others, right? I want to support other people and add value to their life. And so whether that be through my job or just my, my everyday interactions, I want to ensure that as I'm passing through life, I'm leaving a stamp, I'm leaving a, a positive impact on other people, because otherwise, you know, honestly, I feel like what's the point? And um, I I realized two great strengths that I personally believe that I have and that I want to continue to develop. And I think that these strengths are the foundation for every single thing that I do. And it's really about self-awareness and empathy. Um, First of all, if if you're aware of who you are and you're aware of your failings or you're aware of your strengths and you're aware of where you can add value to others or where you can improve upon yourself, I think that goes a long way. And then empathy, as we've seen again, specifically over this past year and going through a pandemic, if we don't have empathy in life, we have nothing because we need to be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes, understand where they're coming from and try to do whatever we can to make their lives better, which I think in the end will will ultimately enrich our own lives anyway. I totally agree. And I feel like, you know, um, part of that is what we do every day. But I think that you have, I've noticed that you've taken that 
um, beyond just business and every day. And you're doing that in your own personal life with friends and other women that you support and see doing amazing things. And so I feel like it's something that I feel like everyone should know and do, but also self-awareness. And I think that that is something that's really, really hard. It probably is true that during the pandemic, a lot of people have had more Mm self-awareness or we would hope they would have more self-awareness. But definitely something people have had a lot more time to reflect and kind of look at their life. Absolutely. So two major things that I love about you, um, and one is that you and I both have kind of side passion projects. I would say this is a passion Mm -hmm. project as well as me teaching ballet. But you have, and, and I know it's probably more, not more than a passion project because I know it's something that you really, really love is that you love interior design. And I've looked at some of your pictures. I know the, the cabin in New York City that you have in Upper State New York, not New York City, Upstate New York, is just phenomenal and amazing. And I have no eye for that. If you came to my house, I would be so stressed out probably. (laughs) But, you know, how has that changed as you've grown? And do you remember your first project? How did you really start to get into interior interior design? So, you know, like, as you said, it's a little bit more than a passion project now. I mean, it is, it's definitely where I I make extra income. I'm extremely passionate about it, but I look at it as as a a side gig or a secondary business. Um, I I got into interior design just kind of, I've always been someone who enjoyed having a creative outlet, whether it be crafting or painting or any of those things. And, you know, when, when we started to see a rise in some of the, um, home design shows and um, magazines and things of that nature. Interior design in the past was always something that was so unattainable to the everyday person. And so as we started to see a rise in that, I became more and more interested because, you know, I never really even thought of interior design as a, um, as a career path or, you know, something that you could do on the side. And so just really enjoyed the idea of, of learning how to create functional and aesthetically pleasing interiors, taking risks, using different colors, different materials. And so I'm definitely um, self-taught. I've I've, uh, taken one or two classes, but really just dug into, as I do with a lot of things, if I'm interested in it, I'm going to research it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to understand the ins and outs. And so that's kind of what I did with interior design. And I started doing projects um, in my family's home. And so um, doing projects for my parents and then moved on to my brothers and sisters. And then uh, as the years progressed, i um, doing projects for friends and so forth before I started doing um, projects for clients. No, I love that. And do you foresee that growing? I know probably I would, I would think with the pandemic um, things got quieter for you just as did for Carrie and I with dance and production and all of those things, you know, it's a different time right now, but do you foresee, like, do you have big dreams for the coming year, especially with the pandemic coming to a close? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and actually it, it wasn't the case that interior design slowed down. It was the case that, that things picked up because people were at home. They were either nesting wonderfully or they were looking around and going, oh my gosh, my home is kind of a, you know, a mess. And so people really, really started getting into, you know, creating spaces for themselves that they could be in for an extended period of time and enjoy. And particularly when you think about New York City, for instance, and a lot of the larger cities around the country and in the world, 
you might have smaller apartments, you're commuting to work, you're, you're out and about, you're not even eating at home very often. And so interior design and, and really what your home um, looked like or what it, it represented to you was, was I think, a not important for a lot of people. And I started to get a lot of clients who were saying, you know what, I'm looking around, I'm now working remotely, I'm at home all the time, and I'm realizing I'm not happy in my home. And that's something that I always, you know, said was super important. I have... Um, I've actually been in the same apartment in New York City for the entire 12 years that I've been there. And over the years, I have changed and designed and brought things in and took things out until it felt like a place that was just 100% me. And every single time I would walk into my front door, I felt at home. I felt happy. I felt pleased. I, if I would go on a trip, I had an amazing time. I would still really enjoy coming back home. And that's what I try to create for my clients. I think every single person should have a space where they enjoy coming back home and it's an oasis for them. So I love that. And I didn't even think about that before, but when you're getting to know a client do you do you get to I guess that's what I should say do you get to know your client so that when you're looking for pieces when you're choosing colors you feel like you have a concept of who they are Absolutely. So, you know, for instance, you know, you teach dance, you and you like running, you know, how do I incorporate that into your home? How do I incorporate the functionality? You know, perhaps do you have a second room that you could in install a bar and a mirror, but also have it be a guest room so it, it functions the same. So absolutely, when, when I'm working with clients, um, I have to take into account their lives. And I, I think one of the things that I sometimes, and, and even it's perpetuated on, you know, television shows and so forth, it's this idea idea that an interior designer comes in and says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, you know, a big sweeping change, that's not, you know, you're not going to be a successful designer if, if you're bringing all of your goals, thoughts, ideas into a project without fully investing in, in the client and fully understanding how they want to use the space. How do they live? What do they like? What don't they like? So I typically do a, a pretty long questionnaire with all of my clients and I sit down, I talk to them and I talk to them in their home. I, you know, the spouses or the children, everyone has a say because at the end of the day, you know, you want it to be a space where every inhabitant of that, of that space can come home and feel welcomed and feel great and feel super happy. No, I love that. And I mentioned that I have never had an eye for anything for sure. And so I think because of that, along with that and cooking, I steer, have steered clear for a long time. But p during the pandemic, um, you know, I moved and mm -hmm. we got a new house in Worthington and the Columbus area of Ohio. And I definitely think because this is our space, we're here all the time with our kids that we really started really looking at that because you're here all the time. Same with yeah. cooking. Mm -hmm. I feel like those are two things that, I didn't do, but then during the pandemic, it was kind of like, you want to feel comfortable where in the place that you're, you're in all the time because the pandemic has changed that in a lot Absolutely. of ways. Absolutely. So, okay. So born and raised Chicago girl, you landed in, you were born and raised in Chicago, right? Actually, right? I was not, I was not born in Chicago. I was born in Guyana and, and we moved to Chicago when I was six years old. That is amazing. I didn't know that. I feel like I should have known that. Do you, I thought love you, did. you have that as your part of your story? Oh, 100%. Um, uh, being an immigrant um, 
it, it informs so much of who I am. I'm, I'm a very proud immigrant as well. And um, there are so many things in terms of my culture and, and our upbringing and, and all of these things that are very different, obviously, than living in the U.S. And so w when, when I walk through life, I'm walking through life as a Guyanese American who has had these different experiences from Chicago to New York to, you know, my professional experiences, my personal experiences um, with, with people that I meet and interact with. So all of those things uh, make up the whole of who I am. Absolutely. So as, because you were six, do you, mm -hmm. obviously your, your parents, you know, instilled a lot. Did you do research also? Like, have you gone, gone there and, like that is a huge thing. Like I feel like I should have known that about you. Well, well, now you know we learn things now about I each know. other all the time. But um, well, yeah, so I actually I, I have done a lot of research on Guyana because, as you mentioned, I was six years old when I left, and so um, even though I, I do have some really really specific memories of of, of some of the places that we live because we we did move um, actually quite a bit, and and it, it and that's a whole other conversation about like you know early childhood memories and so forth because my mother tells me all the time that I have memories of places that we lived when I was a baby which is super weird, but um, I, I, um, I've done research on Guyana just to be, make sure that I fully understand where I came from and, and understanding about the country. Um, we, as a family, went back in 2018, um, took a very large family vacation. It, it was uh, myself and my siblings and my mom, nieces and nephews, along with my brother, my brother's wife and her family, because she is part Guyanese, part Bayesian, and we went to um, Guyana and Barbados. And it was one of the best trips. Um, we, we've taken family trips before, but it was one of the best trips to be able to go back to Guyana, but also to have all of my nieces and nephews who are only familiar with the country through you know, what we've been able to, to tell them to be able to, to see that firsthand and to be able to have that experience. So yeah. So that's so, I, so is there anything, you know, major from that culture, from being born there that you feel like is such a part of one of your strengths or a part of your personality or something that you bring to the table and the way you look at things? I, I think um, Guyanese culture, very much like Caribbean culture in general, revolves a lot around family. You know, I have a huge family. I'm the youngest of, of seven children. We, I have um, a large extended family through my my mom and my dad, who both came from big families. And so I, I think that piece is is probably instilled in us through the culture um, and just I, I appreciate those relationships um, with my immediate family, extended family, and and how all of that has informed who I am in, in terms of, of, you know, who I want to be and being of service to others and all, and, and all of that as well. And I also want to say I recently, and I, I know I, sh I sent you a photo of it. I recently got a tattoo on my hand, my uh, wrist and hand, which is the national flower the, of, of Guyana. And it's done sort of in an abstract way. So that was also something I wanted to do as a reminder of my heritage and my culture. And that's gonna be with me forever, obviously. So amazing. And I did, I got to see the picture of that. And so I love it as a part of the design and, and story. I, I feel like we don't know a ton about tattoos in general, but I feel like I love when they have a story and a concept and a reason and a purpose. And so I love that that's part of that for sure. Absolutely. Okay. So not born and raised, but you grew up in Chicago. And now you live in New York City, and I 
I'm a big fan of New York City. I love New York City. But I feel like you have to be a special person to live in New York City. Like it's a different <laughs> place for sure. So oh, yeah. you know, living there, you know, what's your favorite thing? What do you love? What makes it tough to live there? And do you foresee staying there forever? Yeah. So I, I love that you said you have to be a special person to live in New York City because it, it's absolutely true. New York is not for everyone. And I, and, and I, I think the other thing is that you, you have to have a, a respect for the city and you, you inevitably have this love-hate relationship because New York is tough. It's hard. You know, um, I, I say it all the time and I say it with love. New York is a cesspool, you know, it, it, <laughs> certain times of year, you know, Rats are more common than dogs. And so, you know, you have to have a general respect, a love for the city, but also understanding, just like any relationship too, right? That nothing is perfect. However, when it's good, it's so good. Um, there is, and, and everyone says this, but it's, it's so true. New York has its own heartbeat. It's it, it, its own life. There's an electricity. Um, obviously now with the pandemic and seeing, you know, for instance, Broadway empty and Times Square empty. It, it is very different because all of these areas that you would normally have uh, tourism, um, it's no longer there. But generally, New York has this life and this energy. And um, I remember when when I when I moved to New York, I moved uh, with a former employer. And it was a very fast move because they created a position. They said, do you want to go? I was like, yes. I, I didn't even think about it. I hadn't even sold my place in, in, in Chicago. I just kind of picked up. They moved me across the country and I was absolutely, you know, just in awe and, and super happy. And I remember saying to myself within like the first month or so that I was there, you know what, if this doesn't work out, you can leave in a year and you'll be fine. You know, no harm, no foul. Within three months, I knew that New York was going to be where I would live very much long term. It just Fit. It just fit. And, and what I love about New York, um, again, being an immigrant, New York is a melting pot. You know, there are, I can't even imagine how many different nationalities are there. And when, when people see movies about the U.S., very often it's New York. And that's what they think, you know, that the U.S. is. New York is also this place where everyone fits in. I mean, everyone and being on the subway and you would see things that in other cities would be shocking, you know, or the way that people dress and, you know, it would be shocking. And in New York City, no one, it's like, I acknowledge you and I move on. And I love that because I, you know, I, I think it's so important for us to be able to acknowledge each other's differences. And so being in a place where that is done every single day without batting an eye it, it, it feels great. I, I feel different when I'm in New York. I walk different. I, I you know, I dress different. I mean, clearly. Um, but it's, yeah. And, and I, I do anticipate that I don't believe it will be my forever home, but I do think it could possibly be my forever home base and that I will constantly go back to New York for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I love that. Well, I said that I loved two things about you. One was your confidence and that you have a passion project. The other thing that I love, and it's totally an area that I don't feel super confident in life in, um, is that you, I feel like, have a really amazing concept of wealth, money, and your own financial space. And the fact that you own property, you know, how did you get into renting? And I know that you um, have Airbnb spaces. Like, 
is that part of the fact that you love spaces in general with interior design? Or did you just see that as a place that you would be able to make extra money? Yeah, it was definitely an evolution and it, and it did come about through the design. So how I started out with Airbnb is actually that um, I had a former roommate who was looking to purchase a, a, um, an apartment in New York City and he specifically wanted to rent it out on Airbnb. And he was actually leaving the country at the time. He had gotten a job in Hong Kong and asked me to design the space for him. So we we did that. And after that was done, he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out of the country now. I'm going to need someone to help me manage it to try and figure it out. And I knew nothing at the time about Airbnb. I had never used it myself personally. And so I said, well, you know, all right, I, I guess. Why don't we try it out for a few months? I know nothing about what I'm doing, but if you feel confident and it don't, it's only going to do this, that, that, it's not going to take up too much time. Sure. So I started um, managing the property for him and realized that, um, with my experience in sales and customer service and, and just, you know, building relationships with, with guests that it was a, um, it was actually a really good background to have in order to be successful with Airbnb. And then he purchased another property and we did the same thing, design it. And then I manage it. And then he purchased another property, design it, manage it. And, after that, I, I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, why am I not doing this? You know, it was nice getting that additional income from the, the, the you know, design work and then from the management work. But as I said, I felt that I had um, a real knack for, you know, really just working with, with our guests, making sure that they felt welcome, providing them what they needed. And I decided that I was going to purchase a property and I wanted to do it not in New York City, but I wanted to do it in upstate New York. I had friends who had, um, who had properties in upstate New York as well. And so I, I knew that it was going to be something that was going to be twofold, that I could go spend time away from the city, enjoy it, enjoy the time with my friends, but then also be able to get that additional income. And so when, when, I, when I purchased the property and set out to design it, I specifically wanted to target my demographic someone like myself who really enjoys interiors and enjoys to travel, but wants to go to a space that feels very homey, that feels well-designed, well-curated. And, um, you know, that when they go there, it's a, it's a true escape. And I, and I think I've been able to create that successfully. I just got goosebumps. Well, I feel like I need to come to the space eventually. Oh, you have to. Yeah, definitely. A girls weekend or something with lots of wine. Um, I've seen the pictures and I, it's completely incredible to me what you have done. I, I guess I'm not sure if I saw pictures before you redid it, but I've seen pictures of the inside after. And I mean, it's amazing. So did that, because of the pandemic, did that shift at all or because of the pandemic was having an Airbnb in upstate New York actually a blessing because it was a place that people could go and get away yeah, so that that was also a very much a roller coaster. And I remember specifically, you know, when we went on lockdown last year and just how everything kind of changed. So I at the time I was still managing my friends' properties in New York City. And as you can imagine, I mean, it just hit rock bottom. You right. know, obviously we we had guests at the time, all of whom had to leave and go back to the, at the time that mostly they were international guests had to leave the country, go back home. And then we started to see, you know, obviously just an 
a flood of cancellations come through. With my cabin, I had just put it on Airbnb. And so um, I started renting the cabin February 10th. And um, I'd gotten, you know, a good amount of, of first bookings and I felt super proud, you know, a nice right. start. And then the same thing, all of a sudden for March, I started to see a lot of those um, uh, cancellations come through. But then very quickly, there was a shift where people started realizing this is for real. We're going to be on, you know, some form of, of lockdown or whatever. And then there started to be more of a mass exodus out of the city. Right. So what I found was that all of the income that was lost through the Airbnb management in New York City, I was then able to make up um, and, and much more with the cabin because people just, people needed to get out. And so over the, over the past year, um, we have had a tremendous occupancy rate, tremendous um, uh, uh, impact in terms of, of people wanting to um, rent the cabin. I actually had several people offer to buy it, wow. <laughs> which was super flattering. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, the demand has been amazing. There was, uh, so March uh, uh, this past month was my best month yet, which was very interesting. And then all of a sudden we started to see a little bit of a dip in April because I think now that people are getting vaccinated, yeah. um, they're trying to get out of the country more and, and or whatever, or go to, you know, warm climates or, but also seeing that a, a bit more, um, just recently started to see more um, reservations come in for May, June, and July. It's amazing. I love that. And I feel like I love that someone wanted to buy it. That's incredible <laughs> for sure. Like it's very flattering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with all things, so those are some pluses of this year. You know, this year, I think not only did we have the pandemic, um, which was huge, but I think that there was, all, there were a lot of things we had personal growth, but the country I feel like also was going through a lot in the last year. And so as a strong, successful um, black woman, what did the last year mean to you? I feel like there was a lot of hurt, but there was also a lot of unity. There was educating people. I'm sure just because knowing you as a person um, and I watched you step up as a leader even in that, there was a part of me that felt like amazing. And I was so proud to know you and watch you do it, but also felt like, was there a weight that that was one more thing that you felt you needed to take on where a time, you know, it was emotional. I'm saying as a white woman, if I'm sure that it was very emotional and heavy and just a heavy heart, but how did all of that feel for you? I mean, you know, honestly, to even try to sum up the last 12 months, <laughs> I, I, you know, like, I, I feel like I don't have the words. It, it, it was indeed a roller coaster. I mean, with, with every single thing that, that we went through, um, there was grief, pain, uncertainty, 
joy, happiness, awareness, you know, just so many different emotions, so many different things happening. And I have to say, I, I firmly believe it was probably the single greatest growth phase of my entire life. I mean, if I'm looking back, I would assume that that, that was the case just in terms of everything I went through. And um, one of the things that that I personally found um, this year, and, and this was through all of the social unrest, and, and it was heavy, it was extremely heavy. I don't, I don't know if as a, a a black person living in this world, everything that happened over um, over the summer months could not have been heavy for you. And certainly I, I hope that it was heavy for other people as well, because um, that awareness and empathy and allyship is so very important as we, we talk about racial issues. And obviously now we're having, um, seeing this, this additional phase of racial injustice when it comes to Asian um, and Pacific Islander Americans and, and, and people in Canada and other places. But for for me, there there was a, a heaviness, but it was there was also something that was lifted. Having worked in corporate America for um, for many years, I think I always felt a little bit censored, and I always felt that it was necessary for me to be very cautious about the way that I sort of just walked through life because there always there always felt that there were eyes on you, right? Because you're you're representing your company or your brand or, you know, whatever. And there, there was this weight that I felt that I personally lifted off of myself. And I know that you had a conversation with, um, with Gina Lucas recently, who, um, is, is just an amazing woman. And we've had conversations about issues of race and, and issues of, of censoring oneself and being unmuted. And I feel like that's what happened to me over the past year and and it, it it infiltrated just about every piece of my life as well. It wasn't just about this idea that I need to stand up and speak out, you know, when it comes to racial injustice, or I need to stand up and speak out when I feel like people are being wronged. But I also just gained a lot more confidence, a lot more confidence in, in speaking up for myself and speaking my truth all the time, yeah. um, which I know for some people can be a little uncomfortable when they're not comfortable in their own truth. But those were some of the things that I learned. I learned to unmute myself and and in every relationship that I have, whether it be personal, professional, um, or even superficial, I want to try to to be unmuted and speak my truth as much as I possibly can. Um, certainly not in, 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 in a way that's going to hurt or, Im- or negatively impact someone, but definitely not in a way that's going to stifle me or stifle who I am. And so do you think, and, you know, I know Carrie's, Carrie will for sure talk um, in intro for sure, but we, Carrie, you know, being an Asian American, I feel like she, I've watched her social media feed even where she has that same emotion where she's hurt, um, upset, wants to be a voice, wants to jump in. I want to jump in now that I'm now that my bean now that my bean she was going bananas. If you can just imagine a toddler like doing that game where the ball goes up and down, you just have to keep on bouncing it. Yeah. We always like to refer to host, but I knew that with the subject matter, like you for sure would want to jump on because I think that this is something that you, you know, I think Minetta, I mean, obviously it's still going on for you as well but i think it's just right now on the surface for you carrie that you're going through that emotional space but also starting to become unmuted and having conversations and using your voice yeah i think no matter 
who you are, the anger is just going to be on a different level. If it's people that look like you just, it's just, there's no other way, you know, my, my life partner is a black man from Chicago. He's a musician and our child is affectionately known as Blasian. So she's Asian and black and our household's just been angry for like 12 months straight. But then now recently with the Asian, with the Asian, um, attacks on elderly people, I'm just like, come at somebody who can defend themselves. Cause then it's going to be a different story. You know, that's the thing that kills me the most about all of it. People attacking people like my parents age. It's just the most cowardly thing I've ever heard of in my life. So yeah, Minetta, I love to hear your voice on this because it's true. There's something about what has happened recently that um, I think, you know, I think we're of the same generation, the Gen Xers. I have found my voice in a way. I don't know if, if I would have found it if the last 12 months didn't happen. And, and I agree with you, Carrie. Asking because I, and this is, you know, me just asking from watching the both of you. I, are you still angry? Because I feel like you are past that and you're jumping in in multiple ways, but, or are you still angry about everything? You know, I, I think very often anger is a wasted emotion because anger does not equal action, right? Very often anger can cripple you and, and anger equals inaction. And what we need is action. What we need is to mobilize people. What we need is to speak up and to have others who are not part of BIPOC communities speak up and do the same and become allies. And so anger, it, it, it's not even anger, honestly. You know, as I, as I watch the news the other day and, you know, Carrie, to your point, there was an, an elderly Asian woman in New York City who was attacked outside of an affluent um, building. The cameras were rolling. There were two people in the lobby and no one did anything. And not only did they not do anything to come to her aid, but there was no 911 call registered after the attack. And so, yes, there's anger, right? That's the initial, the initial emotion is anger. But then secondarily, you have, you, you think to yourself, there's shame and there's grief and there's pain and there's all of these other emotions. But then what, what you need to do, what we all need to do is to take those emotions and turn them into action. What can we do? And, and I, I um, early uh, or mid uh, last year, I um, did an IG story. I was doing the series of stories and it, it said, what does your activism look like? And I think for a lot of people, they think that in order to be an activist, they have to go out and protest or, you know, do something that is, is very, you know, outwardly publicly vocal. Your activism could be anything, you know, it could be talking to a friend who, you know, doesn't know any better or, or could be educated. It could be supporting a friend who wants to be an ally, but doesn't know how or hasn't found their voices yet. So I, I think that anger is, it's definitely a base emotion that's there, but it, it definitely can't be the emotion that rises to the top the most because it, it doesn't, anger doesn't equal action. So Minetta, let me, let me ask you because I am, I'm a leader in my micro community 
of, of my career, of my job. And I would say that you are too. Can you talk about what you believe your role could, could be and is within your micro community? So I personally think that my role is that of educator. Um, and, and that, that, that's my role. That's my job. That's what I do. So I, you know, I train people and I think that the way that I can educate others is bringing to the front topics that perhaps they were not aware of, or they would be interested in learning more about and doing it in a manner, because I've seen this happen before. And this is why I say that anger is a wasted emotion when you are angry and I'm speaking specifically, you know, to like social media, for instance, or if you're having one-on-one conversations with someone and you're saying, well, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Your message is lost. And so I think that not only have I been able to unmute myself and use my voice in a way that I think is productive, but I I think I have a unique voice in the way that I approach um, conversations. And I really do, you know, like I said, remember self-awareness and empathy, those are the foundation. If I'm self-aware enough to know that I can't speak in a certain manner because my message is going to be lost, but still having empathy for the person who maybe is ignorant of what's going on or ignorant of why these things are problematic. Right. And so that's how I try to approach it. Do you feel like change is happening and do you have hope through the last six months or eight months? And even for the situations, you know, with the Asian Americans, do you feel like, because I feel like awareness, you're talking about awareness and empathy. I think that although it's, pain and it's hurtful, people are more aware. I, I do agree. Yeah. And I would say yes to both of those things. It is, it, it's disheartening to see what's happening now because it is this cycle that we keep going through. Right. But, you know, I, I think in some ways we, we have to go through this evolution for real impactful change to occur. And I do think that change is happening. And I, and I do think that what needs to happen, and, and there were a lot of, there was a lot of conversation about this, that part of the reason that everything occurred the way that it did in the summer is because we were in a pandemic and we were kind of in a lockdown and we had to stop and, and watch it. We had no choice. We had to say, this is actually happening. And I think that that's what's continuing to happen right now. And so while it is painful, um, in some ways, I, I believe that that this period of pain is necessary in order for us to have real sustainable change. We're starting to see that happen, you know, within uh, companies, um, just in terms of representation. And these are small things. These are very, very tiny things. I mean, we're not getting to the root and the heart of, of you know, the systemic imbalances that are, that are there within our country and within other countries as well. But you, you have to have some bit of change, some bit of movement, and you have to have hope because without hope, you know, without hope, the, the, the opposite of that is apathy. And if we have apathy, then no one does anything. So yeah, I, I believe that we have to have hope. So you mentioned too, um, oh, Carrie, I saw, do you want to jump in, Carrie? Yeah, Kelly, you know, this is, this makes me want to ask you because Minetta, you are, your base is in New York even though you're not there right now. Is that yes, true? Yes. You're like, you're like taking a, a are you on an amazing <laughs> island right now? 
I am indeed. Yes. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so jealous. I mean, we have good weather in LA, but it's not the same. Kelly, (laughs) our voices are, I I don't know if we can help it. Like I can't really help that I live in LA and I have that worldview and my micro community is mostly here. So one of the reasons why I love working with you among a lot of the great reasons is because I think for our country to heal itself, we kind of have to reach the people that are not the people that we live next to sometimes. Absolutely. So I feel because it's such a geographic thing in this country. So you live close to now where we grew up and listening to me and Minetta talk about this and me and Gina, how do you think this education that we're trying to get out is actually getting out and how could we do it better? Like what is, can you talk about that Kelly? Cause you're there. So listen, this is a tough question. So I, it's kind of like um, some things in life that you like want and you think of. And then when it's right before you, you're like, holy pajama pants. That's like the easy way to say, like, am I ready for this? And when we first started, you know, I was like asking you to do a podcast forever. And then when we decided to do a podcast, I was like, wow, like I have, you have to be vulnerable to do a podcast. And in a lot of ways, I've kind of steered clear from politics in general on social media, partially because of my job. Um, But, you know, I live in Ohio. And so West Coast, New York City, I feel like people are just aware of more things. You have more diversity in general. People are just because of their experiences and their environment are open to more things than in the small town that Carrie and I grew up in. So I think that it's small conversations here and there and saying things in little bits and pockets where I can open someone's mind up. And I I have had a lot of opportunities where I've traveled to LA, I've traveled to New York City, um, even the dance community, Carrie, I don't know if you agree with this, but even the dance community and being younger and going to New York City and going to the Broadway Dance Center and, you know, Manetta, you saying people in New York City can be at whoever they want, you know, dancing with a guy who's dressed like a girl. Like I was opened and saw lots of people in different environments, in different places, being who they are really meant to be. And so I think I am more open to things. Um, than some people in Ohio, but I do have to say that I feel very, very hopeful. And especially with, um, you know, Emerson and Mason, or, you know, even the kids that I'm around, people are more open to learning about all people. And I feel like the kids and the future generations get it more than the adults. And I feel like that's just been my experience. I don't, am I answering your question? I hope so. Yeah. I I mean, I honestly think that you have the harder job, even though me and Minetta, I mean, I'm, I'm on my platform all the time trying to trying to do the same thing, educate. But the fact of the matter is, is that I'm in an echo chamber for 95%. Everyone's Mm -hmm. so excited to hear from me and they all agree. You know, I very rarely get anybody on there that's like, I don't see your point, you know? So I think that you have the hard job because um, 
you're not in an echo chamber there. And it is, there's a lot of different viewpoints all around you. I I have to say too, you generally surround yourself with like-minded people. Very true. And so the people that I am surrounded by generally, but Carrie, you also know, because you know, the, you know, neighborhood that I used to live on and during election time, there were all things going on. So I feel like, you know, I do think that I surround myself with like-minded people. I feel like my children definitely know my views, opinions, thoughts, and, and, and listen, this podcast in general is us seeing different perspectives, seeing other people's grass, getting the concept of why they do what they do. And, and just in general, what, you know, what is going on with people's lives, regardless of color or, you know, gender or what they associate themselves with. There are a million things. And I think I'm hoping that this podcast in learning people's whys and their stories and, you know, their voice is going to be part of that educating people who are a part of my life or, you know, not even a part of my life out in that extended network. I hope that that's part of what we're doing with this podcast. Yes, definitely. I I do think that, and and, you know, you you mentioned something, I was thinking about this earlier this week as well, you know, you surround yourself with like-minded people. I was thinking about that. And so there have been, there have been times where, and and, and specific to social media, where I was going to post something and then I, I, you know, I didn't post it. And I said to myself, well, you know, all of my, all of my friends know me, they know, they know my views, my values, but what I, what I've decided I'm going to be doing from now on is posting about things, even if I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because there's somebody out there within my extended network that perhaps doesn't have the same views, same values or whatever, that I'm speaking to that person. If I can speak to three people and and educate them a little bit further, I feel like it's so important to do that. And so that to me is part of this, this process of, you know, being unmuted, being uncensored is even though I know being in New York city, you know, on the East coast, typically, you know, kind of liberal, there are, I, I can't make assumptions. And so I want to make sure that I'm, I'm raising my voice and speaking up, even when I think like, oh yeah, everyone agrees with me anyway. Manetta, I, I, I love the, I love your perspective. It's wonderful. Um, you know, both of you guys come from a um, direct selling background, correct? Would that be a correct way to categorize Yes and jobs. no. I, I've been so I've been in direct selling for the past three years, um, okay. and it's it's my first foray into direct selling. Prior to that, I was um, um, in in beauty, but in more of a traditional retail and wholesale um, environment. Okay, so it's so interesting to me because I feel like it's a really specific skill set that you guys have that I don't have. <laughs> Can you talk about like the meat of? what that skill set is and for women who are interested in going that route, because it is an accessible route for a women who, for a lot of women, because it gives a lot of flexibility. Mm-hmm. So for those women out there, do you, can, can you talk about the meat of what that skill set is and how to develop it? So yeah. listen, I'll say this first and then Manetta, I want you to jump mm-hmm. in. First of all, Carrie, I think that you're completely wrong. I feel like you are saying that you I love the way she said that by the way you're completely wrong (laughs) you are completely wrong okay (laughs) listen I think that you are you're an aerialist and a dance 
a dancer and you've taught dance and taught coached for being an Eric, like you are a coach at heart. And I think that being a mentor to people and even this podcast tells me that you have a lot of the same strengths that Minetta and I probably have being an educator, having a voice, coaching, mentoring, having heart and passion about something. Those are all things that I think take, you know, to be a part of a model like this, you know, in general, I think that I always say, and then I'm going to let Minetta jump in because I, I want to hear her perspective for sure. But Anyone can do something like this. And I think it is having a little bit of confidence, but it's about sharing something that you're super excited about and you love, regardless what that is. If it's a product that you feel passionate about and you love it and you can talk about it and then bringing people on alongside you to do the same work, whether it's beauty or jewelry or whatever, um, it's about finding friends and family and other people that want that flexibility, want the need the financial, or even just want to get out of the house and, and have something that's, you know, their own to build. And so I don't think there is a specific person that can thrive in a business like this. I think that sometimes people target certain people and that's the flaw and them not being successful is I think anyone can do something like this. I don't know. What do you, where, what that's do you- really important Kelly though, because I think maybe that's a barrier to entry because I would 100% believe until you told me I was wrong <laughs> that I don't have the skill set for that. So maybe you've convinced me that, Oh, to have a different perspective on my skill set. So yeah, Minetta, I would love to hear your, um, your two cents on that. I think, you know, Kelly, you're so absolutely right. Everything that you said and Carrie, I'm going to agree with Kelly and say, you're absolutely wrong, but for a different reason. (laughs) This is a great podcast. This is amazing. (laughs) For me, I'm going to break it down to the most basic level, the most, you know, fundamental skill building relationships. And I think that in order for you to be successful in direct selling, that's it, building relationships. So whether it, it be with your, you know, potential clients um, or if, you know, as, as Kelly said, you're looking to bring someone into the business with you, it's, it's all about building relationships. I mean, we can even go, you know, further and say, well, in general, that's what life's about. But no, honestly. And so for me, I, you know, like I said, I came from a traditional um, retail and wholesale background. And so I've been in sales but in a different way, the learning curve for me was just like learning the business, you know, learning, you know, um, the compensation plan and, and the structure and all of that. But, but then when I kind of like step back, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like you said, you know, Kelly, I'm coaching, I'm training and doing all these things that I, I did in the past. And, and fundamentally I am building relationships with people and I'm sharing my passion and I, and I'm, you know, going about in a way that is, with confidence and with that ability to say, I have a specific goal and I want to reach this goal. And so I'm going to push forward and do that. So I I personally think that it it really is just that fundamentally simple that anyone can, can do this if they have a desire and if they um, have all the skills to just simply build um, and nurture authentic relationships, which is just something that we just don't do enough of anymore. You know what I'll say too, uh, one thing that I definitely love is a side of, there's a lot of things I love about this, this model, but when Carrie and I started talking about doing this and having guests on, 
I was making a list of people that I know that I would love to hear from and love other people to dive into their story and hear from. And a lot of those people are because of the networks and the amazing women and some men that I have grown relationships with from this model of business, mm -hmm. whether it was through, through travel or through um, watching them train or coaching them or working alongside them. I have met incredible people and because it's a relationship business, um, I just, I have a great list of people who I think are absolutely amazing and incredible that I wanted to jump on. And it was a true testament when I was making that list of what this has just done in my life in general, from a growth development community, networking perspective, all that I, that I've gotten from, you know, this model of business. Mm -hmm. Manetta, can you talk about, okay, so you guys have people that you coach. They're looking at you and Kelly probably like, wow, I want to get to where they're at when it comes to confidence, when it comes to the vocabulary, being smooth with talking to people. If there's somebody at home sitting there right now thinking that they have, they want to do it, but they don't know how to get from point A to point Z, Z being you guys where you're confident and it's flowing and it just becomes a part of you. What are the first one, two, three steps for that? I, I, you know, personally, I um, confidence is an acquired skill, first of all. It's like, any, it's like anything else, right? You work on it, you grow it, you get to a point, you get better, you get better. Um, it's like building a muscle. And so I always tell people to think about one thing that you're confident in, right? Think about one thing that you know, you're like, dude, I'm a badass when it comes to this. And start to just lean into that. By leaning into that, you then gain more confidence, right? Because that's how it works. When I do something that I'm good at and then I get better and then people compliment me and, you know, and I see the results and I, get, I become more confident. Then I want you to name maybe two or three things that you're not quite as confident in. Or maybe you even say, I suck. And I want you to reach out to someone who is amazing at that thing and start learning from that person. And actually, you don't even have to reach out, stalk them on social media or, or whatever, right? But if you see someone who's killing it in an area that you would like to be better at, start learning from that person. It's very similar to what I did with my interior design. Like I said, I, I, I I'm, I'm self-taught for the most part, but I looked at people and I was like, oh my God, this person's a rock star. Okay, what are they doing? How are they doing it? Let me study that. So I, I think that, you know, confidence is something that, yes, yeah, some people, it, it, even from a young age, you can tell they're like, okay, that person has a little bit of swagger, you five-year-old, that's amazing. But it is, it is learned and it does grow. And you become confident in things that you, you get better at. And so work on getting better at those things. I think that even that step of, okay, they can recognize somebody's really confident in that area that they're not, even that step of reaching out to them, like again, after, after the Instagram stalking has already happened can be a huge step. So is the piece of advice to, to reach out to, to them, but then also, you know, tip your toe in the water of confidence by reaching out to that one person. So yeah, it's both things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say too, like, I think, you know, some people hate the saying, fake it till you make it. <laughs> um, but I think that there have been moments in my life where I did just that. But I think in, you have to do it. 
like you aren't going to get good at things until you do that, do the mm-hmm. thing. And so, you know, even, you know, in this business, I'm like, have the conversations or in dance, I'm like, go to the convention and put your hand up to go up on stage. Like you have to go for it. And sometimes it's faking that confidence to give you confidence. And so I think sometimes it's just jumping in and doing it. I I think that with this podcast, I think that every time I post on social media, I think that sometimes when I'm parenting, (laughs) like I have, you have to just jump in and, and even if you're not completely confident, do she said it confidence Minetta, you said confidence is a muscle. Um, Mm -hmm. I think doing the things sometimes and forcing yourself to do it will also build the muscle of whatever that thing is that's going to give you the confidence that you really need. Yeah, Kelly, I think I'm even with this podcast, you know, how we decided to do it. I the, the one word that I've been really saying to myself recently is the word prolific. Like things that live in my brain that no one else knows about mean zero. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they have to be the things that I create have to be out in the world so people can see it. Without that, it, you know, it just lives in my brain. And I think a lot of people have great ideas or they, they're like, I'm working on this thing, but you gotta, you gotta do. And this is what Gina, we were talking about with Gina a lot. You have to do. And this is another Mm -hmm. way for women out there, you know, to do more of that versus just kind of waiting for the right moment or, waiting for some reason, be prolific, have things out there that people can experience and live and, and be a part of. So well, and I think Manetta, you're a true testament to that. And the fact that you, I mean, even you saying like, I jumped into New York city and thought I'm going to try it. Um, I think I can be super impulsive. And when we first started this conversation, I was thinking like, I wonder if Manetta's impulsive too, but I think you think things through, like you, you think through the thing, but then you, you have the confidence, um, to jump in and do the thing. So I don't know that you're quite as impulsive because I think you're a thinker and you're strategic, but you know, doing the Airbnb, getting the house in upstate New York, that like, those are all things that you have to have confidence, but you jumped in and just done. And so I think, you know, who knew that this would be about confidence? I said that you were a badass, confident woman. So I guess this is coming to be about confidence, but even being an educator in the last six, eight months and feeling confident and having the awareness to have those conversations that you wanted to have that, that all shows true confidence. And it's one of the things that I love about you. And I think you instill in everyone around you for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely not as impulsive as I used to be in my youth. And and, and I, I love that, you know, what you said, because I, I've thought about this as well. Like I said, girl, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of self-reflection and conversations over the, the last 12 months. But a lot of the decisions that I've made, it's true, on the outside, they seemed impulsive, but... I did, you know, I, I weighed the risks and I, and I thought about it and I, and I really was strategic about what I was going to do. Even, even coming down here to St. Martin, you know, to a lot of people, it seemed like that was an impulsive decision. It was not, um, but it worked out. And I think, I, I think, you know, when we're talking about confidence, we also talk about the risk, right? Because, you know, Carrie, to your point, reaching out to that person you're stalking on, on Instagram, there's a risk that that person could say, oh gosh, no, I don't want to talk to you or just completely, you know, ghost you or whatever. So you, there, there's always risk involved in everything that we do. But I think if, if we weigh that 
and we have in our gut that this is the right thing to do, then do it. Don't wait. Don't let it, you know, don't let it sit in your head. Like you said, put it out there, put yourself in a position of action, not in, in the thinking about it, weighing it over. No, I love that. Well, and Minetta, so to wrap today, I mean, I think there are a million things um, that we touched on and, and this was perfection. This is exactly what I love about you and wanted this to be, but if you were going to leave the Green Greener Grass podcasters, uh, I shouldn't say podcasters, but listeners, um, what would be something just in life that you feel like on this journey you've learned and that you think would give more confidence or just a life lesson that you would want to leave everyone with? Um, I, I think a big part of it is self-awareness and self-reflection, right? Get to know yourself really take, you know, really take a deep look internally, have, have hard conversations with yourself. Because, you know, if, if I think back to what I said, my why is my purpose, purpose in life, which is to be useful to others. I can't be useful to other people. If I'm not even useful to myself, I don't, I, you know, for instance, if I don't know where my strengths lie, if I'm not confident in being able to go out and say, yes, I can impact someone's life in this way or, you know, or, or in that way in particular. So I think a big part of it really is about that self-awareness. And, and as I've gotten older, I, I really enjoy it. And so believe me, I, I don't, you know, sit here and think that I'm a perfect person. I am a work in progress, but I know where that work needs to happen. And I'm doing that work every single day. And so, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that, I'm doing that work every single day. So that that's something that I would say to to anyone and, and actually even to people who are not, you know, um, in, in my age group, because I think starting starting earlier can make you just a better person, because I wish I had known some of these things when I was like in my 20s and 30s, you know, so for me, it really is about that self-awareness. And it's about, you know, doing the work on yourself to make yourself a better person. I am so happy with the person that I am today. But I know that there's so much more to come. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Minetta for joining Carrie and I today. Thank you. And, this has been a, this um, has been so great. I I love that we are good friends, and I feel like we will be that for years to come. And I can't watch, can't wait to watch the growth and development um, that both you and I and Carrie have in the coming years um, as we grow older. I hate to say grow older, but. Well, I, I'll put it this way. I, I can't wait to be a part of your future badassery. There you go. Oh, she really wanted to talk this whole time. Yeah, exactly. She wanted to talk. Hey, Bean, show them your new word. Can you say car? <laughs> oh. Kind of, kind of. We're, get, we're getting there. Um, yeah, Minetta, thank you for sharing for sharing all your wisdom. It was it was so great. I I want to be your friend. Let's can we be friends? We we are friends now. Absolutely. <laughs> That'd be great. 100%. I'm nurturing this relationship, so you know, like it or not, we're lifelong friends from here on out. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you Minetta so much. Thank you both. Thanks guys. Thank you. Go do something fun. I'll text you later. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. You can find Minetta at Minetta Archer on Instagram, and you can always reach 
Kelly and I at Kelly at and Carrie at grandrevcreative.com via email. And if you'd honor us with a five-star rating and a review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, it truly helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Greener Grass, a podcast. Mm-hmm.